This is Molly Hemingway of The Federalist. Join me, my husband Mark of Real Clear Investigations, Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordelioni, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod President Matt Harrison, and others for the 2023 Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th, at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in Chicago. issuesetc.org. How common is mental illness? Well, if if we believe the statistics that have been compiled about this issue, then when you walk into church on Sunday morning, you're walking in, maybe you have a problem with mental illness, maybe you're suffering from it, but certainly someone down the pew is, or someone up in the front pew and way in the back pew, maybe up in the pulpit has to struggle against mental illness. So how does the congregation deal with it? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about mental illness in the Lutheran congregation, Dr. Stephen Saunders. He's professor of psychology at Marquette University, a member of Our Father's Lutheran Church in Greenfield, Wisconsin. He's author of the book, A Christian Guide to Mental Illness, and a column for the Lutheran Witness titled Mental Illness in the Lutheran Congregation. Dr. Saunders, welcome. Thank you very much. Why do we tend to treat mental illness differently from physical illness in the congregation? I think there's a couple of reasons. One of them is that physical illness almost always is observable by external people. I have type 1 diabetes, and I have to tell people that because it's not something that people can see. But if you break your leg or going through cancer treatment and lose hair, or end up in hospital or something like that. It's obvious to other people. Persons with mental health problems or mental illness, they can hide it and often do, unfortunately, hide it out of shame, out of uh, shame that they should not have to have or experience. But someone with depression can smile even if they don't feel like smiling. Someone with anxiety might force themselves to do certain things so I think partly it's that that physical illness is more observable and it's easy to go up to someone, again, someone on crutches and you say, oh, what did you do? How did you do that? Oh, I'm so sorry. And so forth. I think the other part of it, and it's sort of related, is that mental illness is thought about differently, that physical illness is seen as maybe bad luck or an accident or a mishap. Whereas mental illness, because we don't see it very much and also we don't talk about it very much, there's a lot of misinformation and maybe even some disinformation about mental illness. There's a lot of misinformation. People just simply don't understand it or they have wrong ideas about it. Disinformation, people are told wrong things about mental health problems, about mental illness, wrong things like the people who have mental health problems, it's because of bad parenting or it's because they're sinners or because they did something wrong or they're not strong enough, all of these stigmatizing notions about mental illness. And in human beings, we're sinful by nature, but we also 
really, really like to have explanations for things, especially things that we're afraid of. I sometimes say that if someone develops cancer, unfortunately, a common first question is, oh, did they smoke? Because we like to pretend anyway that cancer is not going to happen to you unless you do something bad. In fact, a lot of people develop cancer, probably the vast majority of people develop cancer for no reason except bad luck. We don't really like that. So mental illness, again, being even more misunderstood. People like to try to explain things, but also like cancer, scary, at least scary in concept. People like to have an explanation for mental illness, and the explanations are often cruel to those who actually have the mental illness. There's something that they did wrong. They weren't strong enough. They didn't run fast enough. They somehow deserve this. So at a societal level, we just don't really have enough conversations around mental health problems, which is, you know, which, which is something that the church can certainly help with. How common is mental illness? Research clearly shows that in any given year, about one in five persons will experience a mental illness. And this probably starts about age 12 and, you know, goes through the end of life, probably increases a little bit towards the end of life as we see new problems related to aging, such as dementia or Alzheimer's. But it's about 20%. In a small church of 100 people, there's going to be 20 persons in any given year that are experiencing a mental illness. I'm talking about primarily depression and anxiety, one of the anxiety disorders. Depression is sort of a the disorder of sadness, persistent, overwhelming sad feelings, really feeling down and not liking yourself, and it affects your energy level. There's lots of different versions of the anxiety disorders, panic attacks, generalized anxiety disorder, extreme fearfulness in front of other persons, social anxiety, that is. The phobias are an example of the anxiety disorders. But also we have the less common mental illnesses affect about one in 100 people being schizophrenia, Autism spectrum disorders are probably more than one in 100. We have cognitive impairment, what we used to refer to as mental retardation, about one in 100 people. Substance use disorders affect a lot of people, anywhere from 5 to 8% or more persons a year. Those have become more common, by the way, all of them, but especially the substance use disorders, depression and anxiety, which are the top three, they become even more common because of the COVID pandemic where people have been isolated and just under such stress related to both the pandemic itself, but also our society's reaction to the pandemic and forcing people to isolate and stay home and, and so forth. How effective is treatment for mental illness? Treatment is actually very effective. If you look at, and researchers have looked at, comparing treatment for mental illness versus treatment for other illnesses, the treatment that we have for mental illness is probably one of the most effective treatments on the planet. We've done a lot of development of the various treatments that we have. There are two types of treatment for mental illness. 
their psychiatric or biologically based treatments. These are medications and they work for most people. They at least help alleviate the symptoms, you know, make people less depressed if it doesn't entirely eliminate the depression. At least they are less depressed, helps people with anxiety. Medications are very helpful with bipolar disorder, what we used to call manic depression or with schizophrenia. The other type of treatments more talk therapy, psychologically based, working with a counselor or a therapist. And with that person, you work to understand how it is that you think the way you think, how you got into this habit of thinking or this habit of behavior, which is maybe not very good for your mental health or your mental wellness, maybe bad for your mental health. And a therapist over time could take anywhere from a month to six months or even a year of working with a therapist in weekly 50-minute discussions. And if someone goes for either medications or therapy, some people need both. And if they stick with it, find a good match. It's important to find a good match of a therapist, especially. And if they find someone that seems to understand them and can give them good counsel about how to change the way they think and the way they behave, psychotherapy is very, very effective. It can help probably upwards of 80% of persons who try it. Medications, slightly less effective, but also very effective. And again, we're talking about not perhaps cure, but at least helping people be less depressed or less anxious and getting their symptoms under control so that they're not interfering with their enjoyment of life and their capacity to be with their families and have friendships and so forth. Where does Christian consolation fit into treatment? I think Christian consolation is so very much underutilized and underappreciated. I consider Christian consolation to be just the consolation of the gospel. For people who are suffering with mental health problems and mental illness, because of the confusion about how is this happening, why is this happening to me, why is this happening to my loved one, why was my child born with autism or with such severe cognitive impairment, why is my child so depressed? What we hope that the church, the Christian church, will be able to communicate to either the person suffering or the person's family is that this is part of the fallen world. Just like cancer, just like accidents, just like type 1 diabetes, just like any other illness, this is not punishment from God. Christ took all of the punishment we deserve because of our sin. He took it on to himself and he paid the cost of our sin by dying on the cross for us. But he also rose, he was resurrected and ascended into heaven. And that is our ultimate consolation. Life is difficult. Life can be traumatic. Life can be depressing and anxiety provoking. And we know that 
God loves us, that God is in heaven, that God ordains all things, and that Jesus Christ, his son, came and died for our sins. And that is a consolation that a mental health professional like me cannot offer my clients. It is a consolation that can only be found in the church, and it is such an important consolation for those suffering from either directly or by watching a loved one suffering from the effects of mental health problems and mental illness. Why do so many suffer in silence? I think people with mental health problems and mental illness, they suffer in silence because they're not sure how other people will react. They're confused themselves potentially about what's going on. They might feel ashamed about what's going on. Again, this notion, and it's not just a Christian notion, it's a societal notion, especially in America, that mental illness is something that can be avoided. And if you are experiencing it, well, you didn't avoid it. Since you didn't avoid it, it's your fault. There's a lot of stigma around mental health problems, and stigma causes people to feel ashamed of themselves for having it. Just to point out there that mental illness is perhaps the only illness where people feel shame when they develop it. So they feel depressed and then they feel ashamed for feeling depressed. It's that shame that drives people to not talk about it, to not tell their pastor what they're going through, to not share with their friends what they're going through, to not share potentially even with their own family members what they're going through. And the tragedy there is that pastors, family members, hopefully friends, hopefully all of them, will in fact respond positively and with comfort and with consolation. Positively, not to say to them, I'm so sorry that you're going through this. This sounds really difficult. I hope that you're getting care. Don't hesitate to reach out. Why don't you come over and spend the evening with us to offer both the, the comfort and the consolation. But people don't know what to expect. Again, as a society, we don't talk much about mental health problems. I hope the Christian church, I hope my Lutheran church can learn to do that better so that so that we can tell people, basically, who are sitting in the pews, who are suffering with depression or anxiety in silence. We can say to them openly, look, we don't know who you are, but we know you're there. And we would love to have you tell us what you're going through so that we can offer you some comfort, some consolation, some companionship as you walk this sad path and maybe to help you feel better as a result. Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University, is our guest. We're talking about mental illness in the Lutheran congregation. So how should the church then actively, proactively teach about mental illness? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Things above, that's the theme for this year's hymn sing at the Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The bridegroom soon will call us. Jerusalem the golden, wake awake for night is flying, and a whole bunch more. You don't want to miss it. Making the Case is Friday, June 16th, and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org. 
Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. Christological. My friends, Jesus comes only for sinners. Historical. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by... Sacramental. Take and eat. This is the true body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given unto death for your sins. To find a Christological, historical, and sacramental church near you, go to issuesetc.org and click Find a Church. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're discussing mental illness in the Lutheran congregation with Dr. Stephen Saunders, professor of psychology at Marquette University. Dr. Saunders, how then should the church actively teach about mental illness? I think the church must actively teach that mental illness is like any other illness. Mental illness is a result of the sinful fallen world. We wouldn't have any illness, including mental illness, except for fallen mankind, except for sin. Mental illness is not different than physical illness. It is not because of weakness. It is not because of lack of faith. The church should open the Bible basically to any page and look at any of our fathers of faith and see how they struggled with mental health problems, Moses begging God to kill him if he's going to continue to make him have to deal with these Israelites, Abraham lying out of fear, this is not my wife, tell this man that you are my sister, otherwise he might kill me. What David went through, what Peter went through, and so forth. These are all people that talked directly with God and yet experienced emotional distress, sometimes at a great level. Believing in God and having emotional problems, mental health problems, mental illness, they are not incompatible. This is what the church needs to teach and to understand. The church also needs to teach and be explicit with others that We have counselors, we have psychologists, we have psychiatrists. God has given these mental health professionals to us, just as he has given us oncologists for cancer 
endocrinologist for type 1 diabetes. God has given us these mental health professionals to help with our mental health problems, and we should use them. The church should also emphasize the need for discernment because I don't think it's nearly as common. I think it's actually uncommon for mental health professionals to be hostile towards the Christian faith, but it is necessary to be discerning about that and for pastors, for churches to find a cadre of mental health professionals that they can be assured are respectful of our faith. So all of those things. Treatment is valuable. Treating professionals are out there and can help, but also be discerning and make sure that the spiritual consolation, the consolation of the Bible is the responsibility of pastors and churches. Mental health care, especially with severe problems of depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, these are the realm of mental health professionals. Finally, how can the congregation help Christians to maintain good mental health? To maintain good mental health, what congregations do week to week is probably the most important thing in many ways for someone's mental health. So the best thing a congregation can do is insist that people need to come to church every Sunday or every Wednesday or Thursday. Mental health is promoted by being around other people that are friendly, that know you, that like you, socializing with other people. So the so-called the horizontal aspect of church, the members that surround you, the congregation versus the vertical, which is your relationship with God, the horizontal relationships with members that surround you in the pews, this, this is so good for, for mental health. Singing is really good for mental health. Or just simply listening to beautiful music being sung by others is good for mental health. Hearing a positive message that God loves you, that you are loved is good for mental health. And just you know, simply getting out of the home is good for mental health. So what churches can do is all of those things. Beyond that, I think churches do have the opportunity, probably the responsibility, also also the privilege of doing outreach to persons, again, that are right in front of them who are silently suffering with depression and anxiety or suffering because someone in their family, a child, a sibling, a spouse, a parent, is going through seriously distressing mental health problem or mental illness. To reach out and say, look, we know you're here. Please tell us about what you're going through so that we can pray for you so that we, we can mention you in our prayers, and so that we can talk with you and offer you, again, the, the comfort and consolation of just simply sharing in suffering. No one at a church is going to think that somehow talking to a person with cancer is going to help their cancer go away. 
that's not why you talk to the person with cancer. You talk to the person suffering a physical illness just to comfort them and to let them know you're thinking about them, that you're praying for them, that you are with them and are not afraid of what they're going through. Same thing for persons with mental health problems and mental illness. Again, we know you're there and we're going to pray for you even though we don't know that we're praying for you in particular. We will offer prayers and we will offer the opportunity whenever you would like to come and talk and to tell us what you're going through. And that in and of itself will be very salubrious, will be very helpful to the person. Dr. Stephen Saunders is a professor of psychology at Marquette University. He's a member of Our Father's Lutheran Church in Greenfield, Wisconsin, author of the book A Christian Guide to Mental Illness and a column for the Lutheran Witness titled Mental Illness in the Lutheran Congregation. You can purchase A Christian Guide to Mental Illness at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Dr. Saunders, thank you. Thank you very much. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll study the hymn of the day for Ash Wednesday, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee. Our guest will be Dr. Arthur Just. We'll talk with Aaron Wren about evangelicalism and culture, and we'll get some advice from Dr. Rick Mars on finding a therapist. We'll discuss witnessing to homosexuals with Dr. John Bambaro, and we'll get a review of the movie Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania from Pastor Ted Geese. I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to church on Sunday. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.